Well, whatever it ends up looking like, Christmas of 2020 will not be like anyone ever expected. I mean, who would have thought at the beginning of the year that at Advent, we'd be in a total lockdown here because of a virus? I mean, nobody imagined that. Nobody even fathomed that. And yet here we are, just over three weeks away from Christmas Day, and we are, well, we're in a lockdown. And whatever happens between today and Christmas Day, we're pretty sure that it's not going to be this year the way anyone ever expected. But did you know that really the first Christmas didn't go as anyone ever expected either? In fact, as you read the biblical narrative, it becomes quite apparent that that all the people who are in that story, none of them other than Christ himself, ever expected to have happen what happened that first Christmas. You know, it is especially true for a young engaged couple named Joseph and Mary, who would be parents of this Christ child. They sure didn't expect what happened that first Christmas. I mean, before the announcement of the birth of Christ, what they were expecting was to to one day get married. They were betrothed to one another, and probably within a year or so, they would formally and, and fully be married. They were probably dreaming of a life together and, and planning on living a quiet life of faithfulness to, to God in their, in their small town, and their community. They had no idea, though, about what God had in mind for them. They had plans. They had expectations about what was going to happen. But what ended up actually happening was totally, for them, totally unexpected. And life's like that, isn't it? Life is full of the unexpected. Sometimes that's a good thing. I mean, who doesn't love a pleasant surprise? But sometimes it's not such a good thing. Sometimes the unexpected is an unwelcome thing. Many times what, is, what happens that was unexpected is something that was not wanted. Maybe it's for you this year, it is the lockdown that's, that's ruining Christmas. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I mean, it doesn't sound like a very spiritual thing to say, but it's going to ruin Christmas. It's, it's the, you know, Christmas is the one thing that makes winter bearable that makes these dark at five o'clock days tolerable. It's Christmas. And that's just not going to happen this year the way that we expected or hoped that it would. And that's, that's got you. I mean, this, this, that's an unpleasant surprise. It's an une- unpleasant, unexpected thing. For others of you, maybe, maybe a lockdown at Christmas is the least of your worries. You've got an unexpected bill, perhaps, or maybe an unplanned pregnancy. You've got an unexpected relationship difficulty or conflict or breakup. For some of you, you're, you're, it's a, this year what's unexpected was a demotion, a termination, a diagnosis. Something maybe has happened in your life that was totally unexpected and is totally unwanted. Well, you know, as we think about that, my question for you is, what do you do? I mean, what, what do you do when life does not go as planned? How do you handle it? How, how do you exercise faith in God in the midst of what's unexpected, what you weren't prepared for? Well, Joseph and Mary, they knew, as we said, all about living with the unexpected. Yet through it all, when we read their story in Scripture, we see real flesh and blood believers, real people like you, who trusted God through something that was wildly unexpected in their life and 
in doing that, they show us something of the greatness of God's grace toward those who trust him through those unexpected experiences. And, and as we study this, we're going to be interested to see, you know, how do they do that? Now, this is my plan as we, as we start into, uh, we're now in December, as uh, we head into this Christmas series now. My, my Christmas teaching series this year is called An Unexpected Christmas. Trusting God when life doesn't go as planned. And our focus in our study is going to be the biblical narratives in Luke and in Matthew about Mary and Joseph, and not only what happened in their lives, but how it is that they trusted God, how they exercised faith in God through an unexpected season in their life. And I'm willing to bet that whoever you are and, and whatever is going on in your life right now, you've probably got some things happening that you did not anticipate. Some of them are pleasant surprises. Some of them are unwelcome surprises, unwanted, unexpected circumstances. And you're wondering, how am I going to make it through? What does, how am I supposed to respond to this? What does God want me to do? How do I trust him through this unexpected season? Well, that's what our series is all about. And I trust that it's going to be a help to you, a practical help to you, as much as it is a spiritual encouragement to you as we look to God's word for help through a season that... I don't really think any of us wanted, and certainly it was unexpected. So uh, let's get into God's Word, shall we? And we're going to start with, we're going to look at both Mary and Joseph and, and through this month uh, and uh, their experience there that first Christmas. And we're going to start with Mary. So if you want to open up your Bible to Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, we're going to look at verses 26 to 38 together in this sermon as we start in this, this teaching series uh, called The Unexpected Tr Christmas, Trusting God When Life Doesn't Go As Planned. Now, when you come to Luke chapter 1, you're at a, at a point in, in redemptive history in which there's been a long period of silence. There's, it's been 400 years since God last spoke through his prophet Malachi. The end of the Old Testament was Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And it's been about 400 years. Um, in Malachi, the prophet reiterated God's promise of a coming Messiah, that Christ would come, that promised Savior of God's people, Savior of the world. And um, he was promised to come. Malachi reiterated that promise. But it's been four centuries of silence and nothing's happened and God has said nothing. But when you come to Luke chapter 1, we find there that the silence is broken. God breaks his silence and he's got, um, he breaks his silence in fine style, uh, as we will see. And for Mary, she's going to encounter here an unexpected visitor with an unexpected message for her, who was really an unsuspecting person in all of this. So it's Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 36, or sorry, 26 to 38. And maybe just before I read the text, I'm just going to pray and just commit this teaching to the Lord in prayer. Will you just pray with me? Father, as we read our Bibles now, we know it's, it's not just a book. It's not just a story. It's, it's your word. So would you give to us hearing ears, receiving hearts, Lord? Would you speak to us, Lord? I pray that the voice that's heard would not be my voice, but your voice. 
I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is just at the, now is a city of about 50,000 people. Then it's just a small little village or really an insignificant town. So the angel sent from God to a city named in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, now this is the angel that comes to Mary. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now imagine you're Mary. What, what's your response here? Oh, I was expecting you. No, right? No, not at all. What, what, is, what happens? It says verse 29, but she was greatly troubled. Yeah, you probably would be too. Now it doesn't say anything about Gabriel's appearance, what he looked like, if it was obvious he was an angel, if it just looked like a stranger that came into Mary's home. I don't know. But Mary is troubled. She's greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold now here comes talk about the unexpected we've got an unexpected visitor now listen here's an unexpected announcement verse 31 behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. <laughs> this is, so you're going to have a baby. Very interesting because, <laughs> because she was effectively still single, betrothed, engaged to be married. But she's going to have a baby, apparently sooner than she thought. And not only is she going to have a baby, it's going to be a son. And oh, by the way, you're going to name him Jesus. You don't need the baby book. Put that away. You're going to name him Jesus. And oh, also, look what he's going to be. He's going to be great, the son of the Most High. He's going to sit on David's throne. Great King David promised, was promised by God to have someone on his throne forever and ever, an, an, an enduring kingdom. Well, Mary, that's going to be your son. Talk about the unexpected. Talk about your life changing in the matter of about a minute. So that's not all. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? That's a good question. How is this going to come about? Verse 35, The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So this, this pregnancy isn't going to be any normal pregnancy. I mean, it's going to be, we call it the virgin birth. It was, it was a natural birth, but it was a virgin pregnancy because it's something that God performed in Mary without the instrumentality of a man. And behold, verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now, if we were reading through the book of Luke, we would have read about that, uh, about Elizabeth being pregnant with well, John the Baptist. Elizabeth in her old age is pregnant. This is a sign for Mary that what the angel is announcing to her is it's going to happen. Now it says, verse 37, for nothing, the angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, now what, what do you think Mary's going to say here? 
What are you going to say? Uh-uh, please go find somebody else. You know, are, am I sleeping? She pinch herself. Maybe she's going to strike up an argument. No, that's not, that's not what happens. Notice what she says, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. How long was this conversation? I don't know, a minute, two, maybe. And the unexpected has happened. Well, loved ones, my question is, what do you do when life doesn't go as planned? What do you do when the unexpected happens? It could be something that's happening in your life that's completely unwanted. It could be something that is, well, it's not entirely bad news, but it's not easy news. What do you do when your life gets flipped right upside down. Well, that's what we're going to look for here in this text. Now, I want you to make a note of this, first of all, because this is important for you to understand. The starting point is right here. God's plans for us are often not what we expect, okay? God's plans for our lives, for your life and for mine, is often not what we expect. You know, there are, are there things that we can expect in this life? For sure, there's things we can expect. I mean, we've got promises. We've got a book here, the Bible, that when we open it, we can be sure, we can, we can expect that what we're reading here is the word of God, is the truth of God. We've, we've got promises in here and, and we, we can expect that God will be faithful to us. We can expect that the Lord Jesus will love us as we trust in him. We can expect a, a home in heaven. We can expect to be uh, given a mission and a purpose here in this life. There's things that we can expect, but there's many particulars, many details in all of that that frankly happens and, and, and arises in an unexpected way. Oftentimes, God has particular plans for our lives that you and I would never have expected would never have imagined. The Lord will, the, the, the Lord, the Lord is the Lord. And, and part of, isn't that an obvious statement? But think about it. The Lord is the Lord. He is the master. God is God. And part of us grasping this comes under the banner of the doctrine of the providence of God. What I mean by the providence of God is that the Bible's teaching that God is sovereign. He, he rules and reigns over everything. He is totally in charge of everything. There isn't anything that happens without his permission. And when we think about the providence of God, we're saying that God is sovereign and in charge of everything. But we're also acknowledging that God has goals. God has designs. God has purposes. God has plans. And the reality is, is that there's many plans that God has that he lays out for us in scripture, but there's also plans that God has for you and for me that he doesn't tell us ahead of time. In fact, you could say that Mary here in our text is given a rare gift where God lays out for her particular plans that he has for her. Of course, a lot of details he didn't tell her here, but he does give her some insight into what's to come. The reality is, is that God has plans for you and for me. And in his providence, he's got good goals for us, good purposes for us that he will bring to pass. And oftentimes those things, the details of those plans are things that are, are just things we would never expect. But God is, he's a providential God. 
He's in charge. Listen to Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. God says there, he says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. The uh, the catechism, uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism of the 17th century puts it this way. What are the works of providence? In other words, what, would, what do we mean by the providence of God? What does God do as, as a providential God? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. Let me read that again. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. Look, God's got plans. Okay, he's got, he's got plans for the world. He's got plans for history. He's got plans for the nations. He's got plans for eternity, for the glory of his son, for the building of his church, for the spreading of the gospel, for the consummation of all things. God has plans and he's got plans for your life. And so often God's plans for our lives are not what we expected. That was Mary's experience. And there's a sense in which she discovered, like we many times discover, that some of God's plans are quite pleasant. We're quite immediately thankful for them, grateful for them. I mean, look at Mary's situation. She's told she's going to have a son. Says in verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now that's generally speaking good news. Good news for a a woman in her context. Uh, There's there's a pleasantness. The the son is going to be great. Great in position and power and glory and teaching and love. He's going to be great. He's the son of the most high. God is doing a wonderful thing here in redemptive history. He will reign forever and ever. Here comes the long-expected Messiah is coming. I mean, these words, I'm sure Mary struggled to fathom what it was she was hearing. But there's a sense in which the announcement of God's plans to her, were it, it was pleasant. And there's lots of times that God's plans for us, as they unfold, they are they're pleasant plans. And, and the unexpected is a pleasant plan. It's a pleasant surprise. But of course, there's also times in which those plans are perplexing. It's hard to understand what God is doing. I think of Mary in verse 34 asking the question, how will this be? Okay, this is what you're saying you're going to do, God, but how how are you going to do this? And sometimes we have questions for God, don't we? What is it that you're doing here, God? What is your purpose in this? Where is this going? Uh, where, Where is your goodness in this? Sometimes we have questions that we ask. Not necessarily from a a place of unbelief, but from a place of belief and yet wondering at what is God doing here? Sometimes God's plans are pleasant. Sometimes they're perplexing. Sometimes God's plans are painful. As much as this was good news for Mary, it was also going to be a painful experience. And I don't just mean childbirth. I mean, she is not yet a married woman. And there is going to be some scandal emerge here when the news comes out that she is pregnant, starting with her fiancé, Joseph, when he finds out she's pregnant. It's not smooth sailing. there's There's some real bumps in the road. What's worse is that there is going to be real persecution. This Jesus, as great as he is, as glorious as he is, is going to be hunted. And Joseph and Mary, within the next two years of their lives, are going to know what it is to be refugees fleeing for their lives to Egypt. 
they're going to be, of course, I mean, even the nativity itself, right? We know the story of the night of Christ's birth and the trip to Bethlehem. The timing of it was, seemed all off, and yet it was, it was indeed part of God's plan. But, but see, the, oftentimes it's painful, though. It's, it's not easy. It's difficult. God has plans for us. While God's plans are sometimes perplexing and painful, the reality is, is that all the time, all the time, God's plans are good. His plans are always good. Even when we don't understand, and even when it's difficult, we know that his plans are always good. Listen to Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Now, the context of this is the, ancient, the, the nation of Israel is exiled. Exiled because of their own sin. They're under judgment. And yet, hear the word of the Lord for them. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, to a people in 70 years of exile, he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil. Now remember, they're in a painful circumstance. This is what's happened to them was, well, they should have expected it. But it was, it was a difficult, trying time. And yet God says, I've got plans for your welfare, not for evil. I've got plans to give you a future and a hope. See, things sometimes do not unfold as we expect, but we can be sure that God is good all the time. And whatever unfolds is ultimately for God's glory and ultimately for our good. We don't always understand in the time, in the moment, in that season, why that is. And for some of us, the reality is you may have to wait until heaven before it makes sense, before you see the goodness of God in that season. But the reality is, is that God has plans and sometimes, sometimes loved ones, his plans for us are not what we expect. I guess I got to ask you the question, are you okay with that? Like, are you okay with the providence of God? Are you okay with God being God and him ruling your life and directing your path? Even when that path is stony and it's got pitfalls in it, and there's thorns along the way, will you trust him still? That's, that's the test, isn't it? When life doesn't go as planned, the temptation is to, is to fall into distrust and to unbelief. But that's not what Mary does. That's not what Mary does at all. In fact, we see quite the opposite. We see her responding remarkably. Well, how, should, how did she respond? Uh, how are we to respond? How, how do I exercise faith in God when life doesn't go as I planned? Well, we look to Mary and you see in verse 38, look at how she, look at her attitude. Look at her response. Mary said, behold, is this going to be easy? If so, I'm in. That's what my Bible says. Or is that what your Bible says? She said, behold, if this is going to be easy, then I'm in. Behold, as, as long as this goes, as long as I have some input here on how this works out, like I want a seat at the table in decision day, I want to have some say. That's, that's, that's what my Bible, is that what your Bible says? Actually, no, that's not what my Bible says. Your Bible doesn't say that either, does it? What did Mary say? I'm just joshing with you, right? What did Mary actually say? What did she say? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Look at the attitude of Mary. I am the servant of the Lord. This is news I was not expecting. There's an aspect of it that's pleasant. There's an aspect of it that's very perplexing. There's aspects of it that are going to be painful. 
But God is God. God is good. And I'm his servant. That's her attitude. Make a note of this, loved one. When life doesn't go as planned, we exercise faith in God by having the attitude of a servant. When life doesn't go as planned, we exercise faith in God. You say you believe in God. Well, we exercise faith in God. We act on that faith by taking on or adopting the attitude of a servant. God is God and I'm his slave. I'm his servant. If he's calling me to this, then to this I will go. That was Mary's attitude. That's the attitude of a believer. That's the attitude of someone who's come to know the grace of God and the love of God. Not that we get it perfect. Mary wasn't perfect. You and I aren't perfect. We're not, we're, the, the, the point here is not that we'll do it perfectly, but we will be faithful to have the attitude of a servant. She sees God as God. Who is God to you? Is he in charge of your life? She sees God as God and sees herself as a servant. The servant doesn't tell the master what to do. The servant doesn't tell the master how it's going to go. Sometimes in our, in our democratic Canadian way of thinking, we think, well, everybody needs to have a say. That's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. God is God. And she does what she's commanded. You and I are called to do the same. You notice in the story, you know, when, when Gabriel shows up, the angel, uh, Gabriel, uh, he doesn't show up and say, um, Mary, I'm here to consult with you. He, he doesn't show up and say, you know, Mary, how do you feel about this? He doesn't show up and say, no, are you comfortable? This is what God has in mind. Are you comfortable with that? Like, does that work with you? Did you sort of want to, you know, bring your ideas? Maybe we can map it out on the board here and sort of brainstorm together, right? That, that's not what Gabriel said. He just came and said, don't be afraid. <laughs> You're going to have a baby. And that baby is the Christ. I mean, there it is. And he answers a question, a quick one question and answer session. And then he's gone. God doesn't show up and ask you and I, how do you feel about this? Are you okay? No, God is God. Notice Mary. Mary doesn't stand there deliberating. Mary doesn't stand there debating. Mary doesn't stand there objecting. Or Mary does not even really decide on the spot. No, I want you to see this about Mary. I want you to see that for Mary, her attitude is such that she'd already made up her mind before she was given the command. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look at what she says. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Mary didn't just arrive at that attitude in the moment. This is already who she was. She already saw herself as a servant of the Lord. She didn't just sort of decide, okay, I'm in. No, no, she already was in. You see, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to treat the, the Lord as the Lord. That's what it means to treat God as God. You say, God, whatever it is you call me to do, whatever it is you put before me, I want you to know, even before I know what it is, the answer is yes. And that was Mary's situation. Now, we're going to talk about the, the power source for that in just a moment, but I want you to, to just sort of brood over that and reflect on that for a moment. Think about Mary's attitude. Would this be costly? Yeah, it would be costly. Would it be risky? It'd be incredibly risky. Think about the heartache and the heartbreak that Mary would go through. 
in not only in the the Christmas story and in what followed that, but even when you think of the story of Christ's death. Imagine the heartbreak that she endured, the tragedy that she endured as her son was despised and rejected and murdered publicly, even before her eyes. Well, what's her answer? God is God, and I am his servant. Mary was given a glorious, awesome calling here, a great assignment. I mean, it's a huge honor. It would come with trial and trouble. It would come with tragedy and triumph. It would not be easy, but it would be glorious. And she did it with the attitude of a servant. Listen, loved ones, listen. God does great things. He does great things in and through people who have the attitude of a servant. A number of years ago, I was at a conference in which I got to hear a speaker named um, uh, Ramez Atala. Ramez Atala. Now, some of you at Arendelle actually know Ramez because his connection in the Brethren churches, and uh, some of you uh, have known him. Uh, Ramez uh, immigrated to Canada uh, several decades ago and then went back to his home country in Egypt from Montreal uh, again a few decades ago. And uh, he's been in ministry there now for many, many years. And there's a little article here. I just want to share with you an article. But he and his wife, Rebecca, uh, and sorry, at this conference, Ramez was talking about some of the work that they did there. And as I was preparing my sermon, I was just remembering some of what he shared at that, at that conference. And, and I found this article written about uh, Ramez and Rebecca. I, I won't read the whole thing to you, but Ramez and his wife, Rebecca, uh, this is a, a little description of, of the work that they're doing in Egypt. The husband and wife team of Ramez and Rebecca Atala allow God to inspire them and to help people know God better and express Jesus' love in Cairo. Ramez was born in Egypt. He immigrated to Canada as a child in the 1960s. In 1980, the couple took their children and moved from Montreal to Egypt. Since 1990, Ramez has headed up the Bible Society of Egypt. His desire was to see the scripture become relevant for Egyptian Christians so he began finding new formats and styles in which to present God's Word. Now, I'll just, just pause here and say this. The Egyptian Bible Society has distributed the Scriptures to thousands and thousands and thousands of people in a country where that is difficult to do. Now, listen about his wife, Rebecca. Rebecca is a key worker at the St. Simon Coptic Orthodox Church in Makatam, the Garbage Village. Over the last 25 years, she has helped the church planting and providing Christian education among the lowest of the low, Egypt's untouchables. Her gentle, compassionate way of ministering and befriending people has helped hundreds of untouchables realize their potential and value in God. Villagers in what's called this garbage village, it's just on the outskirts of Cairo, villagers collect garbage from city apartments and recycle it. They're not paid by the government. However, they receive small tips from the people whose garbage they collect. The rest of their income comes from recycling garbage. These villagers are a despised minority. It also means, though, that there are various freedoms in the garbage village that aren't had elsewhere. Rebecca says, we can meet openly as Christians. We can meet openly as we assume everybody is a Christian. We can say things about without being accused of evangelizing. Today, the article says, today the garbage collectors are filled with love and motivation from God. 
This is what changed their village. The village is a bustling, hopeful community of 30,000 people. They still collect garbage. However, they now have three schools, a hospital, and many churches. Now, just as a postscript on this, in this, in this uh, village, is called the Garbage Village. Again, very low, uh, uh, very uh, sort of lowest of the low demographic. Poor is what I mean. Very poor people. In this community, there is a church that's built into a cave that seats, listen, seats 15,000 people. And their services are packed. Now, why am I telling you about Ramaz and Rebecca? I'm telling you about them because they're examples of what God can do through people who have the attitude of a servant toward him. God can do great things, and he does do great things, and he is doing great things through people who have the attitude of a servant before him. What I think is this. I think that many church-going, church-attending people miss out on so much in this life because they have an attitude of a, they have a case-by-case basis attitude towards serving God. What do I mean by that? Well, people have the attitude, not that they would say it like this, they have the attitude, listen, I'm for you, God, as long as you're for me. I'll, you know, I'll live for you, I'll, I'll, do, what, I'll, do, what, I'll do what you want in my life, but really it's, it's so long as I'm doing what I want. I'll do what I want when it comes to my love life, my money, my career decisions, my church involvement, my evangelism. I'll do what I want. I'll do what you want in terms of things that I don't mind doing. I don't mind helping out here or giving there. But when it comes to evangelism, my love life, my money, my career decisions, no, I'll do that on my own. I've got that covered. I think when you have that attitude, you miss out on so much. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that's not the Christian life. But when you go all in, like Ramaz and Rebecca, when you go all in like Mary and say, God, I am your servant. You are God. You're the master. I'm the servant. When you go all in and when you say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you call to me, the unexpected, whatever it is you call to me, I, I, so help me, God, I'll be faithful to you. When you go all in, you will experience something of God in your life, something of his power, of his presence, of his good, gracious providence, like Mary did. Was Mary's road difficult? Absolutely. Was it glorious? Yes, it was. She saw the Son of God. She gave birth to the Christ. She had a front row seat to seeing the powerful working of God in the most significant season in redemptive history. Loved ones, there's no telling what God might do in and through you when you commit yourself to him as a willing servant. They say, you know, Ross, that sounds great. I mean, I want, to see, I want a front row seat to that. I, I want to be a servant, but I don't trust myself. I'm not sure that I have it in me. You might say to yourself, I want to be like Mary. I want to follow her lead, but I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure I have the strength. Well, the truth is, you don't. <laughs> you don't. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I don't either. You want a little secret? Mary, on her own, didn't have the strength either. Well, how did she get the strength? Where did she get it from? I think the text tells us. 
If you look back at verse 28, I think we have a clue here for how is it that you get to be a person who says, Lord, I'm your servant no matter what. Where does that, how do you get that? Verse 28 in our text, notice again, it says, it said, and he came to her and said, greetings, this is the angel, Gabriel, came to Mary and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings. Some of the older translations use the word hail. It's not, not an exclamation of worship. It's just a greeting. Greeting. O favored one. Some, maybe you learned it. Hail Mary, full of grace. Some of you learned that, right? Well, she's full of grace, not in terms of her own attitude or attribute. She's full of grace from God. She's favored from God. She's given grace from God. That's the idea here. Greetings, O favored one. In other words, God has been gracious to you. He says, the Lord is with you. So we've got this awesome greeting here where the angel Gabriel says, greetings, Mary, favored one, one who, to, who is a recipient of grace. The Lord is with you. See, this is a reality in Mary's life. She knew something of the presence of God because she trusted God. And in her relationship with God, it was God who gave her the grace that she needed to trust God in the first place and to keep on trusting God as she lived for him. Let me put it to you this way. Write this down so you don't forget it, okay? Write it down. Having the attitude of a servant is a grace gift from God. It's a grace gift from God. You know what a gift is, right? I hope so. Christmas is coming. And even though COVID's here, you better give gifts, all right? And uh, for my family, if you're watching, I want good gifts this year, okay? <laughs> all right? So I don't, I don't want a toilet brush holder like I got one year, all right? And uh, you know who you are in my family. You know who you are. I want good gifts this year. Well, it'd be nice, a great gift to just be able if we can somehow see each other. But you know what a gift is, don't you? It's something that, that somebody else gives you. They didn't owe it to you. It's not, it's not paying you back. Otherwise, it's a payment. It's not a gift. It's money owed. It's, a gift is something that's given. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But you've got it because it was given to you. Loved ones, to be a person, to have the attitude of a servant, comes as a gift from God by his grace. God works it in us. When you know God, when you have him in your life, you, you're like Mary, you find that the strength to do this comes not from your own willpower, but from him. In fact, dear friend, if you're just trying to get your mind around the Christian message, you should understand that this is the story. This is the message of the gospel, not us earning our way to pleasing God so that God says, oh, now you've earned my favor. No, the other way, we come humbly before God. And we come by his grace. He's the initiator of the relationship. He's the one that gives us the faith to believe. He's the one that grants us repentance. He's the one that sends a savior to save us from our sin. He opens our eyes to see our need of a savior, to see the worthiness of Jesus, to, and to give us the grace to trust in him. He's the one that gives us the faith to trust in him in the first place and the faith to keep on living for him each day. Loved ones, having the attitude of a servant is a grace gift from God. What's one of my favorite verses? If you've been around Arendelle long, you know, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. How do you get the strength to say, God, whatever you want, the answer is yes, even before I know what it is. Where do you get the strength for that? You get it from God. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. That's the power source.
And so as you contemplate the call to having a servant attitude, loved one, look, look to God for it. God is able to do in you what no parent, no teacher, no counselor, no pastor, no friend could ever do. To give to you a new heart and a new mind set on him. Loved one, will you look to him? Will you come to him even today with empty hands and say, Lord, give me this heart. Give me this attitude. Make me. Make me a person who will say to you even today, in this season of the unexpected, Behold, I'm your servant. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, according to your will. Thy will be done, Lord. Thy will be done, not my will. So, loved ones, let's review. God's plans for us are often not what we expected. When life doesn't go as planned, we exercise faith in God by taking the attitude of a servant toward him. And having the attitude of a servant doesn't come from merely an act of my will, but it comes ultimately as a grace gift from God. So what do you do when life doesn't go as planned? <laughs> you respond to the Lord with, this, with, with a sincere prayer of, Lord, I am your servant. Whatever you got for me. I don't understand why this is happening. This is not what I expected. It may not even be what I wanted. But Lord, in your providence, this is where you have me. So I am your servant. Grant me grace to serve you here in this place. Perhaps you've put before me needs that you've put me here to meet. Maybe there's comforts that I am to give. Maybe there's help I'm to offer. Maybe there's counsel. Who knows what it is? But Lord, I want you to know, whatever it is, I'm your servant. In fact, why don't we just pray? Why don't we just pray and ask God to give to us humble servant hearts as we pray this prayer? Father, I am your servant. Let my life be according to your will. Lord, you are for me and have done for me in Christ all that I need and all that I could ever want. So here I am, Lord, offering you this prayer of commitment. Do what you desire and do what you need to do in my will and my heart and my mind to bend my will to you. I'm committed to you, Lord God. Now use me, Lord, in this Christmas season. Open my eyes to see opportunities around me. Make me a vessel of mercy and of grace to others as you work in me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've talked about having this servant attitude. Now, before you go, I've got one little challenge for you. We've talked about, uh, in the unexpected, having the attitude of a servant. And that attitude of a servant is a grace gift from God. Now, what do servants of God do? They serve God. God puts before us opportunities to serve. Let me ask you, what opportunities has God put before you? Is there an opportunity he's put before you, an open door? Maybe, especially this Christmas season, maybe there's an opportunity he's put before you that is here because of the pandemic that normally wouldn't be here. Look around you. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to see what, what opportunities have you, given, have you given me? Will you ask the Lord that? Will you look for the opportunities, an opportunity in your family, an opportunity in your neighborhood, an opportunity in your workplace? 
Or how about the opportunities in your church? You can come get involved in the shepherd's pantry or in providing a Christmas dinner for a family. That's what servants do. They serve the Lord. They, and God puts those opportunities before them. So what opportunities has he put before you, O servants of God? Will you ask him? Will you look for them? Will you act? God bless you.